0: Chris and Robin Adams met when they were both in college in Chattanooga. They were working at the same grocery store. Chris asked Robin out for a date, and as they say, the rest was history. They fell in love and they got married in November of 1994. Jacob, their first child, was born in May of 2002. Chris and Robin moved to Lexington in 2004 and and promptly joined Northside almost immediately. They got involved in the college ministry at our church, serving college students, making a difference in the lives of of college students. It was after that that their second child, Eli, was born in August of 2005. I remember when um, I first came to Northside, and um, Chris and Robin were working with our college ministry. In that first year, I decided that I wanted to go to Beach Reach with them. Beach Reach was a ministry that they do in Palm, um, Palm Beach, in Panama City Beach, um, ministering to college students during spring break. And so on a Sunday, Scott and I, after I preached, got on a plane the size of a VW Beetle. It was just, it was a tiny little thing. And Andrew Sutton was flying that plane. And I don't think Andrew shaved at that time. I don't know if Andrew still shaves. But, um, but this little kid was driving, flying this plane to Panama City Beach. We were scared to death. Scott won't admit it. But um, he was in the back just praying the whole time. Um, but we got to Panama City Beach, and there was Chris and Robin ministering to and sharing the gospel with college students there on the strip. That's the kind of people that they are. In 2008, a job change moved them back. To Tennessee, and their two boys continued to grow. They um, enjoyed things that typical boys enjoy all sports and just boy things. Then, in March of 2015, they got some devastating news. Eli was diagnosed with ALL, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. It's a childhood cancer that affects the blood and the bone marrow. Now, having lost a child, I got to tell you, I still don't know how I would process the news that my child had cancer. But Chris and Robin continued to trust God and they moved forward with a treatment plan. And on September the 11th, 2017, after moving back to Lexington, Eli took his last chemotherapy medicine, ending two and a half years of treatment. Earlier in that day, they had traveled to an Atlanta Braves game, that was recognizing childhood cancer survivors. And, and Eli was able to participate in a parade on the field on that day. In January of this year, they returned to the Cancer and Blood Disorders Clinic at Palmetto Children's Hospital. Something that Eli had to do every month. He had to go back for other treatments and, and to have tests and to see the doctor, doctor every month. And, and his blood count had been dropping since October even though he was no longer on chemotherapy. The doctor said that if the counts continued to drop, they would have to do a bone marrow test to see if Eli had relapsed. Eli's count had dropped, and so they scheduled that procedure two days later. Eli's doctor came into the room the day of that um, surgery, the day of that, that procedure on a Thursday, and, and shared with Chris and Robin that they would, call them and let them know the news either that afternoon or that evening. I want to read to you Robin's words from here on out. Our that day was at 5 p.m. on Thursday, January the 18th. Dr. Laura informed us that Eli's cancer had returned. However, it was not ALL as before. This time he would be battling acute myeloid leukemia, AML. Since it was AML and it was a relapse, he would require a bone marrow transplant. However, before that could happen, he would have to be in remission, which would require inpatient chemotherapy. AML is a more rare type of leukemia, which reduces the amount of research data available. And, And honestly, the rate of survival is not promising. When Scott and I went to visit them this past week in the hospital, Rahman just related. You know, how you can imagine you feel as a parent when you're taking your child and, and, and putting them in the hospital. Knowing that the reality is they may never come home again. Robin said, once we were home, we set the boys down and let them know what happened. We knew Eli's treatment would begin very soon, maybe even the next week. Robin says, I remember telling the boys that I didn't understand why this was happening again. However, if we could change one person's eternity by sharing what we were going through, it would be worth it. Eli has been in the hospital now for a little over three weeks. This treatment has been as intense as we expected and the side effects have been rough. He has had all the usual chemo side effects, fever, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And with the lack of an immune system, he has developed cystitis as a result of a BK virus. He will have to recover from this treatment before another bone marrow aspirate can be performed to determine if this treatment cycle has achieved remission. If so, then we will head to Charleston for a bone marrow transplant. If not, then he will undergo as many treatment cycles as necessary to achieve remission in order to move forward with the transplant. On the Thursday, we were waiting for Eli to go to the day surgery area for the bone marrow aspirate I pulled up my Olive Tree Bible app. The verse I found myself on was John 16:33, which says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Then Robin says, that verse was exactly what I needed then, and it's what we have needed every day since. God continues to provide strength when we need it, and hope when we have none of our own. Thank you all for your prayers. They keep us, and especially Eli, moving forward. In just a moment, we're going to pray for Chris and Robin and Jacob, his brother, and Eli. But before we do, I want to read to you because this is just how God works. So we prayed in our first service, and I received a text from Chris, Eli's dad, at nine forty-three. He said, I wanted to let you know, Eli's white blood cell count doubled from yesterday. That's good news. (laughs) And his ANC, I don't know what that is. I will look it up after I get home. But his ANC is now 346. He has been zero for the last three weeks. That's more good news. Let's give God another hand. And then he said prayer works. So let's pray right now and again, okay? Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, lifting up Chris and Robin and Jacob and Eli. Lord, I pray your peace and your comfort for each of them. I pray your strength as they continue to go through this process. I thank you. Lord, for answered prayer. I thank you, Lord, for his counts going up. And Lord, we give you the credit for that. And we give you the honor for that. But Lord, right here, right now, we are praying for more than that. Lord, we're praying for complete healing for Eli. Lord, we are praying that you will reach down, you will touch his little body, and you will heal him. Lord, don't just put him in remission as the doctors may say. Lord, I pray that you will remove the cancer from his body utterly and completely and totally. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Understand, one day, someday, each and every one of us will experience that day. The question is not, Will we experience that day? The only question is, when will we experience that day? But I've got some good news for you. When that day comes, we can not only make it through with God's help. When that day comes, we can come through that day stronger and better before if we handle that day like Job did. And so as we get started this morning, I just want to remind you Of a few things that Job did first of all if we want to make it through that day we have to worship that's the first thing Job did he worshiped God remember worship isn't something we do because of our circumstances it's something we do in spite of our circumstances we don't worship because of how we feel we worship because of who God is second if we're going to make it through that day we need friends But the kind of friends we need are friends who will show up, who will sit down, and who will shut up. We don't need friends who are giving us all kind of advice, all kind of counsel, telling us what they've gone through in their life. We need friends who will just minister to us through their presence and through their prayers. Third, we need to take time to grieve. Grieving is normal, but grieving is not only normal, grieving is helpful if we want to go through the healing process, if you don't grieve, you most likely will never heal. Fourth, we need to trust God. Even when we don't feel like God is listening, we trust Him. Even when we don't feel like God cares, we trust Him. And the reason is, our feelings can deceive us. And our enemy will use our feelings to defeat us us if we're not careful. Last week we discovered that if we're going to make it through that day we have to make a commitment to remain true to God's word and we've got to make make that commitment to make it through God's word at all times even before we experience that day because if we are not digging into God's word before we experience that day when that day comes we will have a tendency to reject God's word And we will begin to listen to the foolish world. And when we do that, understand, when we move into an area of disobedience with God, that only exacerbates and it only complicates our pain and our suffering. But today I want us to move into something that I believe is vital if we're going to make it through that day. And that is this. If we're going to make it, we have to have hope. I want you to write this down. Grief Without hope leads to despair. Grief without hope leads to despair. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, do not grieve like those who have no hope. Now, the Bible never tells us not to grieve. That would be foolish. That would be crazy. I mean, how can we not grieve when we go through loss? We're never told not to grieve. But what we are told is to not grieve like those who have no hope. Now, let me go ahead and give you a little backstory, if I can, on the book of Job. A little background. Most people believe that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Now, Genesis tells us about creation, but Genesis was written by Moses. Moses was the author of the first five books of the Old Testament. And even though Moses was not there at creation, god through divine revelation gave him the truths about creation and the truths about the things that took place before moses lived most bible scholars believe that job lived sometime after the flood before the time of abraham and before so before the age of abraham before the age of the patriarchs there was Job. and so you need to understand When Job lived, there was no written word. The law had not been given. Everything that Job knew about God, Job knew from personal experience. Everything that Job knew about God, Job knew by divine revelation. So you need to understand that Job was on the cutting edge of discovering timeless truth. In many ways, Job was the very first person to discover some of these truths. Now as we read through the book of Job, we see that that Job was struggling. And he he was broken and he was filled with grief. And even though he was worshiping and even though he was trusting and even though he was staying true to God's word, he was filled with pain. He had questions he didn't understand. And to be completely honest with you, as we read some of these chapters, we discover that Job was almost in a state of hopelessness. I want you to listen to what Job said in chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, and understand Job is struggling. He has known what it is to experience the highs of earthly existence. And now he is experiencing the depths and pain of earthly existence. And in chapter fourteen, he begins to verbalize some of that. Uh, listen to what he says, how frail is humanity, How short is life. How full of trouble We blossom like a flower and then wither like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. He goes on and he says, "You have decided the length of our days. you Know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. And then he moves on, and he says, even a tree has more hope. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches. Though its roots have grown old in the earth and its stump decays, at the scent of water, it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. But when people die, their strength is gone. They breathe their last, and and then where are they? as water evaporates from a lake and a river disappears in drought people are laid to rest and they do not rise again until the heavens are no more they will not wake up nor be roused from their sleep I wish you would hide me in the grave and forget me there until your anger has passed but mark your calendar to think of me again and then Job asked this question he said can the dead live again? If so, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle and I would eagerly await the release of death. You would call and I would answer and you would yearn for me, your handiwork, for then you would guard my steps instead of watching for my sins. My sins would be sealed in a pouch and you would cover my guilt. Now, at one point, Job experienced the best of life. And yet, at this point, he is now head over heels in pain and sorrow. And the truth is, when you read this, it's obvious that he is hopeless. He says, human life is frail. Human life is short. Human life is full of trouble. And then he says, even the inanimate object, a tree, has more hope than we do a tree has more hope than we do but then Joe ponders and he asks the question he asked the question people have been asking since the beginning of human history he asked can the dead live again but what is crazy is that's not actually what he asked the word again is not in the Hebrew text what Job actually asks is this Do the dead keep on living? Do the dead continue to live even after they die? In other words, do we keep going even after this body has ceased to be? Now, an atheist would tell us that when you die, you cease to be. Death is the end of everything. Some Eastern religions and new age religions tell us that, that we go through cycle after cycle of reincarnation until one day we get to the point that we will merge with this source and this almighty power in the universe. Islam tells us that at the end of time, God will judge everyone's works. And if our good works outweigh our bad works, then we'll go to heaven. And if they don't, then we will go to hell i mean there are a lot of ideas there are a lot of different theories about about what happens when we die but it's important for us to know the answer to that question because the answer to that question changes everything i mean let's think about it if when we die we cease to exist what does it matter what we do because once we die that's it I mean, if we're we're judged by our works, if that's how we're judged, then then life is a constant battle on, do I have enough good works to outweigh my bad works? And we're going through all of this. And so Job asked the question, do the dead live again? Because if they do, then I can have some hope. And then somewhere between chapter 14 and chapter 19, God spoke spoke to Job and gave Job an answer. Now, understand, it's not until chapter 38 that God verbally, orderly comes down and speaks to Job. But here, in between these chapters where his so-called friends are giving him this discouraging word, telling him that all of your problems are a result of your sin and things that you've done, somewhere in the midst of all this, God speaks to Job's spirit. And he either reveals to Job or reminds Job of a timeless truth that encouraged Job. But understand the truth that God revealed to Job not only encouraged Job. It has been encouraging millions upon millions of us ever since. Because in Job 19 verse 25, Job moves from this human life is frail and there's no hope. Trees have more hope than we do. He moves from that to writing these words. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God, I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, let me tell you, that is incredible news. That's a glory hallelujah verse. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. And I know he will stand on the earth at the last day. And though my body is going to decay in this body, I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes. And then he says this, and that gives me hope. Now in those three verses, there are three truths that change everything. There are three affirmations that can literally transform the way you live here on planet earth. But they can also transform the way that you one day face death and the way you experience heartache in this life. So what are they? Here's truth number one. I have a living Redeemer. That's what Job said. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. Job is saying, in the midst of all my pain, in the midst of all my heartache, in the midst of all my sorrow, I have one who will redeem me, one who will rescue me, one who will set me free. I am so thankful that this world we live in and this sinful body that I now inhabit is not what I will always have. God is going to redeem this world and God is going to redeem my bodies. Now listen, God is going to redeem us from the power of death, from the pain of living in dying bodies and that's good news. My parents are both in their 80s. They're getting older and their health is failing. And I talked to my mom and dad at least three times a week usually more than that and inevitably inevitably at least once a week as I'm talking to dad and saying so how are you doing how's mom he says son getting old isn't for sissies (laughs) and that's true isn't it it's not because there are things that were once easy for us to do that as we get older they're not easy for us to do anymore there are things that we enjoy doing when we we're younger that we can't do anymore. And there are things that we did pain-free that we can't even do anymore because the pain is so hard that we can't even do it. It's tough getting old, living in a body that is decaying. But listen, this truth here, I know my Redeemer lives Is not just saying that we have a Redeemer that's going to set us free from death because understand, you will never be set free from the power of death until you are set free from the power of sin. Because you need to understand that it is sin that has caused death and it is sin that will lead us to eternal death. And the problem that we face is not our sickness, The problem that we face that causes everything is our sin. That's why Job said in chapter 14 when he said, if the dead live again, then I can have hope. And then he said this, he said, my sins, if that's the case, would be sealed in a pouch and you would cover my guilt. You see, Job isn't talking there about having a new body. Job isn't talking there about a day when he no longer has sickness and disease. He's not talking about a day where he's no longer covered with with boils and sores all over his body. He's talking about a day when his sins will be no more. And you need to understand, I praise God. I praise God that one day, one day, he's going to give me a new body. But more than that, I praise God that he has delivered me. He has redeemed me. He has rescued me from the power of sin. And Job, Job was the very first one who really received that message and understood it. It was given in Genesis 3 to Adam and Eve. I don't think they understood it. But here in Job... Chapter 19, his eyes are open. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. Isaiah promised this. In Isaiah 59, verse 20, he says, The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins. You know who that Redeemer is that is going to come to Jerusalem who was promised? It's Jesus. And he did go to Jerusalem. And he did save those who turned from their sins. In 1 Peter, Peter says this in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, For you know, it was not with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem us from the power of sin And the power of death. But listen. Even though Jesus came for all. It's only those who receive him. Who will receive the benefit of what he did. That's why Job said I know my redeemer lives. You see it's not enough to say well I know there's a redeemer. It's not enough. It's not enough to say I know Jesus is the redeemer. That's not enough. You see, if you're going to experience the benefits of what Jesus Christ did, then He has to be your Redeemer. And that's a question that each and every one of us need to answer. And when we answer it, listen, listen, we don't need to say, well, I think so. We don't need to say, I I hope so. We need to say like Job, I know my Redeemer lives. I know I have a Redeemer. So do you? Do you? Do you know that you have a Redeemer that has saved you, that has set you free, that has rescued you? Because I'm here to tell you right now, regardless of what happens in your life on planet Earth, regardless of how good or how bad it may be, in the end, if He is your Redeemer... He trumps everything. All the bad that you will go through is nothing compared to what He has for you if He's your Redeemer. And all the wonderful things that you experience here if you've had an easy life are nothing compared to what He has for you if He's your Redeemer. I know my Redeemer lives. Do you have a living Redeemer? I'm going to tell you how in just a few minutes. Second, I have an ultimate ruler. Job goes on and he says he will stand upon the earth at last. Long before Jesus ever came, Job knew that Jesus would come and stand on the earth. I know my Redeemer lives and he will stand on the earth at last. But you need to understand the first time Jesus came, Jesus came to redeem Jesus came to this earth for one purpose, to seek and to save the lost, to die on the cross as the payment for our sin, for our rebellion against a holy God. The next time that Jesus comes, Jesus is coming to rule. Now sometimes as we walk through life, we find ourselves wondering, is God really in control? I mean with the school shootings, with the violence, with the sex trafficking, with the wars, with the natural disasters... I mean, could God really be in control? And the answer is yes. And yet we need to remember that we are living because of our choices under the curse of sin. Both individually and as a world. And the sin that has inhabited our world creates chaos, confusion, and it corrupts everything. And so when you look at all of these bad things that happen and you say, where is God? God's here. It's just that because of our choices, we are living in a world that has corrupted by sin. And we will until Jesus comes back. But one day, he's coming back, amen. And hear what it says? He will stand upon the earth. There's coming a day. I believe it's soon. I don't know when it is. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a hundred years. It could be a thousand years. I don't know. But he's coming. And when he comes, he will stand on this earth again. Jesus is coming back. But understand, this isn't just a promise that Jesus is coming back. That word stand, it literally describes a victor who was standing over a defeated foe. And so this passage is saying, I know that my Jesus will stand on death, on sin, on Satan. And they are defeated by him. But that's not all it says. Because that word last, it literally means last word jesus has the last word have you ever had a conversation with someone who who always has to have the last word me too yeah yeah but jesus has the last word why because he is ruler of all and let me tell you as we walk through life in a world that is corrupted by the chaos of sin Oh, goodness, it's it's comforting to know our God is in control in the midst of our sin. And our God is ruling over our lives, even though we are walking in a sinful world. So Job said, I have a living redeemer who I have a personal relationship with. Job says, I have an ultimate ruler who rules my life and is one day going to rule over all. And then finally he says, I have a future hope. And notice what he says. He says, and after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed when I think about this. Now you need to remember that disease had overcome Job's body. Death had overwhelmed Job's family. But in the midst of all of this, Job had hope because he was able to see beyond the pain and the suffering of this world to one day when he would have a new body free from sickness and sin. You see, though death may befall us, death is not the end of us. And one day God will take our bodies and he will raise them up back to life and he will make us brand new if he is our redeemer. And one day, we will see him with our own eyes. One day, though this body is decaying and growing old, and when it dies, it's going to continue to decay, one day in this body, I will see God with my own eyes. And that gives me hope. This past week, Billy Graham passed away. I imagine 99.9% of believers would say that Billy Graham is the most influential Christian of, of modern times at the very least. God has used him to reach millions upon millions of people with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he closed his eyes here and he breathed his last breath, he looked into the face of Jesus. He looked into the face of his loving wife. He looked into the face, I believe, of hundreds and thousands of people who were led to faith in his crusades. The day of his death, Kathy Lee Gifford, who was a personal friend of Billy Graham, got saved at a Billy Graham film, um, was interviewed on secular TV. I want you to watch a clip of this interview for just a moment.
1: Kathy Lee Gifford joins me now. She was a close friend of Billy Graham. Kathy Grace. Still am. <laughs> what, what's your reaction? What are you thinking about Oh my! They, they came in to tell me I was in makeup over across the street, and I just immediately just put up my hands and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because he has been uh, l- lingering and languishing. Uh, I, last time I saw him was four years ago at his 95th birthday party. And uh, Frank was alive then, too, and we went down there. And, and I was sitting with his granddaughter at a, at a um, at a table and hadn't seen him, and he was quite frail. But I, I knew it in my heart it would be the last time I'd see him. So I said to her, I said, Can I go over and just just tell your, your grandfather thank you? Because my whole family came to faith in Jesus through the Billy Graham organization. Gospel means good news. It's good news. And I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the living God. They're so different. They're so different. We don't need more religion. We need more Jesus. And what's just happened for Billy, happened for my husband, happened for my mother, for my father. Everybody that dies in Christ goes immediately into the arms of Christ for eternity. That is the hope of the Christian faith. Yes, it gives us the tools we need to live in the world today while we're alive. But that's why I could hold my dead husband in my arms and rejoice. Because I knew where he was. And it gives you the peace that passes all understanding. And if we don't have, if we've ever needed peace in this world, we need it now.
0: I hope you didn't miss what she said. The way that she was able to hold her dead husband in her arms. Is because of the hope that she had in Jesus. Jesus is the hope. The only hope. The only hope of the world. What the world is looking for is not going to be found in religion. It's not going to be found in power. It's not going to be found in earthly relationships. It is found in Jesus. And Job knew that said, I know my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at the last. And though this body decays in this body, I will see him. I will see him with my very own eyes. And that, that gives me hope. And it gives everyone who doesn't just hear those words, but knows those words hope. And so do you know Him? Do you know Him? Do you know that you know that you know that you know Him? You don't want to stand before God one day hoping that you know Him, believing that you know Him. You want to stand before Him with a firm conviction that you know Him because he's changed your life. And so is he your redeemer? This is how he becomes your redeemer. It's simple. You've got to acknowledge your sin. You're never going to be saved until you admit you're lost. Until you admit that you're self-sufficient, you're filled with self-pride, and you'll never be saved. You've got to admit that you've disobeyed God, you rebelled against God, you've tried to live life on your own, you've got to acknowledge that and turn from that. Second, you have to trust what Jesus did for you to save you. What did he do for you? He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life, something you haven't done. He died on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for you to pay for your sin since the wages of sin is death. But three days later, he defeated sin by being resurrected from the grave. Jesus conquered sin for you. And you've got to trust him. You can't say Jesus is one of many ways. Jesus is the way, the only way. And finally, you have to surrender your life to him. What does that mean? It means you're giving him your life. You're saying, Jesus, you're God, I'm not. And I'm going to live for you. This is your world. It's not mine. You created it. You set everything up. You've determined right from wrong. You know what's best for me. And from here on out, I'm going to trust you. And you give him your life. And you begin to follow him. You begin to live for him. And let me tell you, when you do that, I'm just telling you from personal experience, he changes you. It starts on the inside but it makes its way to the outside until before long things that you used to want to do you no longer want to do because Jesus has changed your life and things you've never wanted to do before like coming to church with a bunch of people on a Sunday morning when it's your only day to sleep in You end up getting up ready and eager. Why? Because Jesus has changed your life. So is He your Redeemer? Is He your Redeemer? That's our only hope. I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. And With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you don't know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, then I want to give you an opportunity right here, right now, make sure and give your heart and life to Jesus you can pray this prayer to him right now dear God I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me I know I've sinned against you I've rebelled against you I've acted like I was God done what I wanted sorry I don't want to live that way anymore Jesus I believe you came to this earth you died on the cross you rose from the grave so I could be forgiven this morning I'm trusting you save me and Jesus I'm giving you my life I'm yours from here on out I'm gonna follow you I've trusted you to save me I'm gonna trust you with my life Whatever you want me to do, whatever you say in your word, give me the power to be obedient. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out, I pray.